there are three things I think that that um, will cause you to endure to the end and cause you to to finish strong in your life and one of them is the recognition of the value that you have the gift that God has placed inside of you the the spirit of God the love of God the word of God the investment that he has made in you that's number one uh, so you're gifted you're you're special you're important you're valuable you are worth something remember that a that uh, that the, the value of a thing is not determined by how much it costs to make it. The value of a thing is determined by how much someone would pay to have it. Okay? It, it cost God way more to buy you than it did for Him to create you. You're, you're so valuable. To, to create you was easy. To create you, all God needed was some dirt and some air. So he formed you out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into you the breath of life. That, that's easy. That was the easy part. So it was very easy. It was very inexpensive. You were, you were a cheap date the first time around with God. It was easy for him to, to create you. Creating you was cheap. Creating you, and you know what I mean, it was inexpensive to create you. But then, even though he created you, and by the way, you were created in his image, and even though you and I, even though Adam ruined all that for us, and, of course, we would have done the same thing that Adam would have done. So don't be like, oh, man, if that would have been me, Lord, I would have never done what Adam did. Yeah, you would have done what Adam did. Because Adam was perfect, and so was Eve. And, but when they screwed it all up for us, and we became fallen creatures, and we became sinful man, God didn't look at us and say, now you don't have as much value as you did when I first created you. He said, now I'm going to show you how valuable you really are because now I'm going to pay for you. Even in your fallen, depraved condition, I'm going to buy you back and redeem you by the blood of my son. That is love. That is value. That is the most beautiful relationship that you could ever have with God when you realize that and when you realize what he would do for you and how much he values you. So this is the first secret to success is recognizing your value. And like I said a moment ago, it's the value of a thing is not determined by what it costs to make it. The value of a thing is determined by what it would cost to buy it back. And, you know, a painting that uh, Picasso made or a painting that Michelangelo made or a painting that da Vinci made, it didn't cost him much to make it. It cost some paper, some canvas, it cost some paint, and it cost them some time. But when somebody puts, holds that up, if I was holding up for you an original Michelangelo right now that might have cost him, in the day that he made it 500 years ago, it would have cost him $50 to make, but for you to buy it today is going to cost you $50 million. Because that's the value is placed upon what it would cost to buy, to buy it back. And that's why you are so valuable that God would put the price of Jesus on you. That's how important you are to him. I think that's number one. Number two, what Steve said earlier, that if we ever, he's 58, he's not afraid to say it. He's been in the ministry for 41 years. Um, I'm not that not quite that old but I've been in the ministry 
for, well, in this church, 22 years and preaching the gospel since I was preaching on the college campus for um, almost 30 years now. My first trip to uh, the Philippines was in 1984. And so how, when was that? That was, was that 30? 30, yeah, 32 years now. My first missionary trip. And, um, and, those, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the deposit that we made, and we, there was 50 of us that went over for two months to plant these churches. Now the people that we planted uh, into their lives, we were just kids, we planted into their lives. And now they have like a thousand churches in the, in the nation of the Philippines. And, um, and so there's greatness inside of you. That's what I'm trying to say. But, but that sense of if, if collectively and with my wife, she's just she's really young. So she hasn't been in the ministry quite as long as 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 us two. She's really young. And um, I had that dream of her one night, you know, a few years ago. And I had this dream and I heard this voice and said, tell your wife she's 32 forever. And so that's been your that's been your um, declaration over yourself, your confession for the last few decades. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you don't even look 32, look amazing. But our youth is renewed like the eagle. The, the point is, is that we're in awe of being used by God still. We're, we're, we're preaching and teaching and it's hard and we've been deserted by so many people. I can't tell you how many people have betrayed me, how many people have deserted me, but I, it, I haven't lost my smile because I wasn't doing it because they saved me. I wasn't doing it because they made a promise to me. I wasn't doing it because they vowed their allegiance to me. I'm, I, I, I was doing it because he saved me. I was doing it because he poured himself into me, that he valued me. He thought that he could take me and remake me and put me back on the potter's wheel. And, and, and he saw that I was ruined and wrecked and he reshaped me and said, I can, I can, I can do something with that. I can do, if you just stay on the wheel, yeah. if you just be humble, if you just let me mold you and let me just stay soft. You know, that's really all we ever need to do is just stay soft. Just keep a soft heart because a soft heart is a pliable heart and God can mold it and shape it. When you harden your heart, that's when you set yourself up for failure in life. But this idea of, man, we, nobody owes us anything. We don't, it, it's like when, when, when Steve shows up every week, you know what he says to me? Thank you for the, thank you for, it's, thank you for the privilege of being able to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for letting me serve. It's my pleasure. It's my privilege. I'm here to serve. This is the attitude that we've got to have. It's our pleasure. It's if you've been touched by God's grace, if you've been awakened to God's grace, you're, you're never going to become a person who forgets where you came from. And you're never going to, you're never going to stop pinching yourself. We, we, we have been bought with a price. We've been valued by God. We've been loved and adored by Him. We've been invested in, by His Spirit. He lives inside of us. We, we have nothing to complain about. If, we, if, we, if God never did anything else for us, I'm talking about all of us. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. If He never did anything more for me, 
I, there's, I would have nothing to complain about. I would have nothing to be upset about. I would have nothing to regret about. You know, I, I made up a new saying today. It's, it's just really simple. It's, it's, um, it, it's don't, don't sweat it. What was the other one? Don't, sweat not, fret not, regret not. And you live that way in life. If you, and we start with regret not. And what was the other one? What was the other one? Regret not and fret not, and you won't sweat not. You will stop sweating, right? Don't regret. Don't, what was the other one? <laughs> don't regret, don't fret, and you're not going to sweat. We don't have any, <laughs> we don't have anything to regret. Look, failure is learned. It is not what you're born with. Right. You are born again to succeed. Wow. You are born again to win. You are born again to conquer. You are born again to prevail. You are not a victim of a bad gene. You all, we all had a bad gene, but Jesus made us new creatures. We are born again, and we have been given a new gene. We've been given a new DNA, the DNA of Jesus Christ. We're of His lineage now. We're of His seed now. We're, we're, we're a chip off His block. We're, we're just like Him now. You know, look, a, a, a horse, a big horse has a baby horse. A big, a big dog has a baby dog. A big cat has a baby cat. A big God has little, little ones just like Him. I'm not, you know, I don't want to get into are we gods, but what, my, what I mean is we're made in His image. We're just like Him. We're a little version of Him. That's who we are. And the sooner we wake up to that, the sooner we're going to stop being so petty. And I, I think that the thing that I've watched as people have, have, have failed in life, as people have gotten offended in life, as people have... Yeah. Have, have pulled out of the race, as people have allowed something little to, 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 to get in them and allowed something little to hurt them and allowed something little to bother them, the thing that I notice about people that allow something little to bother them is they see themselves little and that's why little things affect them. They see, that they see God's purpose for their life as small, therefore they see everything, they see the small things. And they, they're, they're affected by the small things. They're bothered by the small things. So you say something to somebody, or you don't smile at somebody, or you don't greet somebody, or you don't notice what somebody did, or you don't praise somebody when they've done something that they think is amazing. What ends up happening is they take that small little thing. You're, you're, you know, you're like trying to uh, move mountains, and they take the one small thing where you ignored them or you didn't treat them right, and they build a big case out of a little offense because they, they are not living a big vision, believing in a big God and believing that they have a big destiny and therefore they stumble over something little. You cannot stumble over something little when you see yourself big. You just can't. You, you, know, you might notice little things, but you don't stumble over little things. You can only stumble over little things if you're little. When you see yourself little. And it, look, now I've, I've run off more people than, than, I've, than, I've, than I've gathered. I've, 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 you know, I've sent more away than I've, than I've drawn to me. But I realized something about that, that as if, if I could be perfect, I would still 
only end up with maybe three or four people at my worst moment in life. Because that's what Jesus ended up with. And he was perfect. So we'll never do everything right. And so when people criticize the, the church and criticize the preacher and criticize the, the, the weaknesses and the shortcomings of, of any church, and every church is criticized by critics. Every church is criticized by, by you know, the, the people who are not a part of rolling up their sleeves and doing whatever it takes to help that church succeed. Uh, but every church is going to have its flaws and its shortcomings and its weaknesses. But if, we're, if we think for a moment that our church being perfect is going to win more people to Jesus Christ, we're deceiving ourselves. We can't have, we will never have a perfect building. We'll never have a perfect pastor. We'll never have a, well, you know, we'll never have, well, I mean, we're, we're getting there, but no. We'll ne we're never going to have a perfect message, a perfect sermon. We're never going to have perfect ushers. We're never going to have perfect greeters. We're never going to be perfect in the parking lot. We're never going to be perfect in, everything, in anything that we do. And so if we think that it's our perfection that somehow is going to stop people from criticizing us, we're kidding ourselves because Jesus was perfect and he was hated. He was hated. It, and it wasn't because of anything about him that was hated. It was because self-righteous people are going to hate. Haters going to hate. Right? They're just going to hate because that's what, they, that's what they do. And you, you can only be a hater when you're not a lover. And see, this is what Jesus said that we need to perfect is our love walk. And we perfect our love as we understand he has perfect love towards us then we can treat people with a whole lot more mercy and a whole lot more grace. And we can treat ourselves with more mercy and grace. Doesn't mean we're settling for where we're at in life, but it means we gotta treat people with more mercy and with more grace because we realize God's treating us that way. And so we've gotta stop thinking so small that we are bothered by small things. We've got to start thinking big and then small things won't bother us. And things that people do, we make it so big when it's really so small. Listen, when you have purpose, when you have a sense of destiny, when you're rallying around the vision of the house, you won't have time or opportunity to be offended. But when you care more about your feelings than you do about the house, the family, the church, the kingdom of God, then you're going to allow small things to defeat you. And, and we're bigger than that. So, number one, we have to see how valuable we are, re discover how, realize how important we are to God and how valuable we are to Him, that He would make the kind of investment in us that He's made. Number two, we have to remain in awe that God would use us. Yeah. Who, 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 you know, who will, I, who will I send? We talked about it on Wednesday. Who will I send? Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm in awe of you, so here I make myself available to, for you to use me in any way you want to use me. And then the third thing that, I that we were talking about earlier, and I've noticed in people that make it to the end, is, and, and I, mean, I mean, we all are going to be saved. We're all saved to the end. But I mean, where we, where we live victoriously, where we end well, where we finish strong. The third thing is that you're not bitter. That if you can live life without bitterness, 
if you can learn how to master bitterness, then, um, and, and, and it's really easy when you, when you discover what Jesus said about it, what the Bible says about it. He says in, in verse 12, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 15, looking diligently that lest any of you fall short of the grace of God, lest then a root of bitterness springs up in you and thereby defiles you and defiles many. And so he says there that if we fall short of the grace of God, then a root of bitterness springs up. And what, what does it mean to fall short of the grace of God? It means it's really simple. To fall short of the grace of God means I'm no longer measuring myself by God's grace and I'm no longer measuring you by God's grace. Now I'm measuring me by what I've done and I'm measuring you by what you've done. And when I measure you by what you've done or when I measure me by what I've done, I'm going to become bitter. It's going to cause a root of bitterness to spring up inside of me. But when I measure myself by God's grace towards me, wow, God, you've been, you've, thank you for your abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Thank you that your grace abounds towards me. Thank you that you've saved me by your grace. You love me because of your grace. You, you, you've, or you've given me your grace because you love me and you have showered me with your grace. It's an abundance of grace is when I'm living life based on a grace mindset, then I don't, there's no room for me to be bitter. Because what, what, what am I going to be bitter at you about if you, I, I'm looking at you through the eyes of God's grace. But when I look at you through the eyes of what you've done to me or what you've said about me, now I'm falling short of the grace of God. I'm not, I'm not tempering what you've done through God's grace. I'm not measuring you through God's grace. And therefore, now I'm going to have reason to be bitter and have reason to be mad at you. But when I see you through the eyes of grace, it, it, you're forgiven and I'm forgiven and we're all forgiven. It doesn't mean we're not going to challenge each other still. We're going to challenge each other. We're going to push each other, but not because we're mad at each other, but because we believe in the investment that God has made inside of each other. Therefore, we spur one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another and never stop. And so this whole idea of... I've, I've just seen it. The common denominator in the people that I've watched over the years, the common denominator is not theology. You know, it's not that we had a difference in theology. It's not that, what, that they disagreed with the, you know, the way the church is run. It's, not, it's, it's that somewhere at some point in somebody's life, whether here or any other church that people leave in for the wrong reason, is they became bitter and they allowed a, a root of bitterness. And so that's why, you, that's why when, we, when we admonish you to, to guard your associations, that to believe in the power of associations, that who you associate with matters, who you listen to matters, that when somebody has a, 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 a bitter, something bitterness has sprung up inside of them, it says that root of bitterness will spring up and defile many. Mm. Now, so who determines the many that are defiled by that root of bitterness? The people that listen to the bitterness wow. that a person has determines whether that root of bitterness is going to spread. And so when you, you've got to be able to detect bitterness. You've got to be able to detect it and then run from it and avoid it at all costs and not allow it to defile you because Bitterness comes whenever we judge one another short of God's grace. 
and when we put you in a position where you're now short of God's grace, now I, I've fallen short of God's grace because I'm not extending to you the same grace that God has extended to me. And, when you, and, and even though I'm the pastor, if you, if you don't extend to me the same grace that God has extended to you, then you're going to fall short of God's grace. That doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It means you're falling short of God's grace to, to make you win. It's God's grace that enables you to win. And when you fall short of it, you can't win. Because only grace makes us reign. Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. Only grace makes us reign. And so you can't reign, you can't win when you fall short of God's grace. So does this make sense? You guys hearing what I'm coming, where I'm coming from? And so, so these three things that discover this, discover the, the value that you have because God made an investment in you. Look, if you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to find all your flaws. If you look at your accomplishments, you're going to find somebody else accomplished more. You can't look at yourself based on any of those things. You have to look at yourself based on the investment that has been made in you. That is so critical. That's number one. Number two, you've got to stay in awe. We're in awe. We're leading the way. Grace and I are leading the way. Steve's helping to lead the way in be, staying in awe. We are, we, we are staying in awe of, of the fact that God would use us. Because... Look, have we wronged some people? Have we blown it? Have we made a mistake? You know what? I, you know what? Think about it. I like to put it in perspective. And I, I talk to you guys about this stuff because we, we have to live in the reality. We have to face reality that our vision is to win more people to the Lord and our vision is to build the church up and bring more people into the house of God, right? right. So we have to face the reality that people leave sometimes. We have to face the reality that sometimes the reason they leave is the right reason because God really has something else for them. And sometimes the reason they leave is the wrong reason. And we have to, we have to, we have to not be ignorant of these things and not be in denial about these things. But here's what I realize. When God is really taking someone out of one congregation to put them in, the, put them in another, which I believe is very rare, that God his main focus is not to take people out of a church and put them in another church unless that church really is hurting their progress. And, and really, most churches don't hurt people's progress. Most people hurt their own progress. But the point is, is that for the, the vast majority of people that, that go from one church to another, it's usually because they got mad. It's usually because they got offended. And you can tell because those, those people don't seem to experience a better life afterwards. It, yeah. Their life doesn't go up and up and up and up. It maybe stays the same, it plateaus, or it might even be worse. And I'm not saying that anybody who leaves this, anybody who leaves this church, their life is going to get worse. But when you leave mad, it's going to get worse. Right. Not because you left this church, because you're mad. Yeah. That's the reason it's going to get worse, because you're angry and you're bitter. And, and if you don't make it right, you'll never graduate past that point in your life. And the reason I bring that up is, is basically because of this, is that God, when, if somebody were to criticize me about my flaws, if somebody would criticize me, which there, uh, there's, a, there's a big enough list of, what I, you know, of my shortcomings to, to, for anybody to have good reason to, to recognize that, man, I'm, I'm a flawed human being. But you don't even know half of what I know about myself and make it worse, which is really better, I don't know half of what God knows about me. Right. 
And when, when the fact that God knows everything about me and all my little motives that might be wrong sometimes or all my little attitudes that might be wrong sometimes, I got news for you. He hasn't left the church. <laughs> he hasn't left the church. And if God in all of his holiness and all of his perception and all of his abilities and all of his knowledge will stay in our flawed church with our flawed pastor, so should people. We can't leave. <laughs> we can't leave because we're mad. In fact, that's an even greater reason to stay and work it out. Stay and work it out. I'm a conflict resolver. I'm not somebody who carries around conflict with me. If you got a conflict with me, bring it to the table because I immediately want to deal with it and get rid of it. And let's, let's solve this conflict. Let's not walk around with conflict. We've reached out to people and said, can we resolve this conflict? And we've had people that ignored us. We've had people that said no. We've had people that said, oh, there's nothing wrong. But they tell other people there is something wrong. If you just resolve conflict with the people that you have conflict with, you're going to grow up. You're going to really mature. You're going to be a better person. You can't live in unresolved conflict. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, I'm just rambling now, but that's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, he said, do not go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because we weren't, our bodies and our destinies were not designed to exist longer with, with anger longer than a 24-hour period of time. That's why he said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down on your bitterness. In other words, resolve it before the night is over. Resolve it before the day is through because when you put your head down in that pillow and you're bitter, it solidifies. It gets harder. Your heart gets harder. When you wait, that's why we spent all those nights in our first year of marriage till 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. We made a commitment when we got married. Let's not go to bed angry. So guess what? We didn't go to bed much. Because <laughs> we were angry a lot. We had unresolved conflict a lot. We, did, we, were, we were getting to know each other. We were figuring stuff out. So we would stay up until we got it resolved. Until we really got it resolved. One of us would always try to, you know, kind of, oh, I'm sorry, because we really just wanted to go to bed. But we weren't, we weren't really sorry. We didn't really resolve it. So we would detect that and we would hold each other accountable. Let's resolve this. Go ahead. What's that? Guilty, she said. Guilty as charged. I'm not accusing you. You gotta be, if you're going to make that confession, you've got to say it louder. <laughs> No. So, no, we both would, you know, you know, you, you carry, you're not, your body is not wired to carry that stuff. It begins to break down your immune system and it begins to break down your joy and it begins to break down your sense of peace and happiness and well-being. And so we need to resolve stuff. You got something unresolved, resolve it. Don't carry it around. And we, we because look, I'll tell you what, Paul the Apostle is a great example with this because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, in fact, I just, and I, I, I want to I point this out in the book of Acts first. In Acts chapter 15, it says that he had this dispute with Barnabas that was so sharp, 
He had such a sharp dispute with Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were an apostle and a prophet team. And they had such a sharp dispute at one point that it says in verse 37, I think it is, that, um, that Paul, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. So it says in verse 36, so, um, or verse 37, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose name was Mark. But Paul thought, no, that's not a good idea to take him because he deserted us in Pamphylia when we needed him to work. So Paul and Barnabas, and then it says their conflict became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways in verse 39 and verse 40 of Acts chapter 15. You say, why is that important? Because Barnabas was fighting for, let's take Mark with us. And Paul was like, no, he deserted us. Remember, we were in our time of need and he left us. But notice something. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is just good for us to, to, to hear this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says in verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, Do your diligence to come quickly and come swiftly to me, for Demas has uh, forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica, uh, Caesarea, uh, he said to Dalmatia, Titus to, or Titus to Dalmatia, uh, Crescens to Galatia. Only Luke is with me. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He said, only Luke is with me. But then he says, take Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to us in the ministry. Wow, God spoke to me when I saw that. Because here Paul when he was younger, exiled Mark because Mark had deserted him. And Barnabas was like, no, let's take Mark with us. But Paul gave up on Mark and Barnabas didn't. Paul went on with his ministry, but he reached a ceiling until he reconciled with Mark and recognized, you know what, Mark, even though you deserted me at one time, you're useful to the kingdom of God. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to keep you out. You, you want a second chance with me? Come on in, brother. Let's go. He talks about the other people that deserted him, but over time, he recognized that even though Mark had originally deserted him, Mark returned. And Paul didn't have a bitter grudge against him. And this is what marked Paul's life. He was mad at first at Mark, but even though he was mad at him back in Acts chapter 15, by the time Paul matured, he understood that it's okay to welcome people back when they have betrayed or when they have deserted or when they have failed. And so I, my announcement to, to all of your neighbors and all your Facebook friends that, that, that don't like our church anymore, we will welcome them back when they're ready to get, you know, get, <laughs> to come back and have a good attitude. We would welcome them back. We're not going to hold a grudge against them. But you've got to recognize when somebody is holding that in their heart, you can't fellowship and associate with people like that. But when they're like, you know what? I was wrong. I was stupid. That's how Steve and I got reconnected after, after having not seen each other for 17 years. And then we meet on a plane. We meet in an airport with his hat backwards. And, <laughs> and, and, and 
And he's like, man, you know, I hadn't seen you in 17 years. I was really a jerk back then. Man, for, you know, forgive me, man, that was just stupid. And I'm like, yeah, no, man, me too. We were crazy. We were stupid. And now we're useful to the kingdom of God together, right? Because I didn't say, oh, you know, he'll never be of any use because look at how he was just had such an attitude back when he was, you know, 40-something or back when he was 30-something. <laughs> Way back then. But, I, you know, I don't know how many people that, you know, if you, if you hold a grudge, you're the only one that loses. Now, we have to be wise and not associate with and not get intimate with the wrong people and people with a bad attitude because it'll rub off on you. That root of bitterness will defile you. But when they come back, we welcome them. We're good with it. We're not holding anything against anybody. Let's start over and everything's going to be all right. Amen. A, a, few, a, few, thought, a few closing thoughts. Uh, I, I'm going after something this year in you. First of all, this is school of leadership. When we come together. I'm going to help you become the best you and help you become the best leader that God created you to be. There is a treasure inside of you. There is a treasure inside of you. Look, there's a gold mine in every person, but, but gold is not something that you ever find on the surface. Gold never rises to the surface. Gold has to be dug out. Problems rise to the surface, but gold doesn't. And so if you want, the, you're going to have to realize something. There's so much greatness inside of you. There's so much gold inside of you, but it's got to be dug. It's got to be dug out. And so here's what I'm going after in you this year. I'm going after the, the, the unseen you in you. I'm looking for the unseen you in you. It's the unseen you that I'm talking to right now. I'm trying to reach that guy. I'm trying to reach that woman of God. I'm trying to reach that man of God. That unseen you in you. It's that guy in you that makes you do things that the world is waiting to have done and what the world is waiting to pay for you to do those things. There's an unseen you in you that the world is waiting to, for, to, to, for somebody to uncover it, for somebody to dig it out. There is an unseen you, a problem solver in you. You know, there are people that are really smart and they can observe problems. And then there are people that are really humble and they can solve problems. And we need to be of the humble ones that can solve problems. But I'm going after that unseen you in you. But I, but we got to realize something. He's in there, inside of you, but you got to be willing to let it be dug out of you. And you got to be willing to dig it out of you. And we've got, to, we've got to pull it out of ourselves. It's the you in you that God created in His image. It's the unseen you in you that wins every battle. It's the unseen you in you that the world is waiting to be acquainted with. It's the unseen you in you that is attractive and that is beautiful and that is lovely and that blows people's minds when they come in contact with that unseen you in you. But you've got to do some excavating. There's an excavation process that has to take place. And when you come to a church like this and you come to a meeting like this and you say, I want to be used by God, God takes you seriously and he says, you know what, I'm glad because there is an unseen you in you and I want to dig that guy out and I want to unveil that guy and uncover that guy and dig that guy up because 
The world needs that person that's on the inside of you. The world doesn't need the you that is that is just the the fleshly you the you that is the easy person to reactive out of your emotions the world needs the spirit in you the you in you that the world has not seen yet but you come to a place like this and it's going to be it's going to be excavated and when you excavate all sorts of junk comes up before the gold shows up and but here's what happens but people bail when the junk starts showing up because they think you're not good for me because you're bringing up junk in my life. Oh no, I'm just removing the junk from your life. I'm going after the gold that's inside of you. You're only seeing the junk and thinking that I'm, you know, that I'm causing some funk to get the junk out of your trunk and that's not what I'm trying to do. The junk is coming up because God is peeling layers off to get to the gold inside of you. But when you get when you get freaked out because of the junk that shows, oh, I didn't know I had that attitude. Oh, I didn't know. No, I don't think I have that attitude. Oh, well, who are you to say that? Well, you're just the pastor. It's not an accident that I'm the pastor. It's not. I I didn't get here by accident. You know, we didn't do what God's called us to do by accident. I didn't just drive, you know, and see a sign wanted cool pastor. And I pulled in and like. It's me, man, the Fonz. Hey. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm anointed for this. Yes. We're anointed. We're called by God. We're anointed by God. We're imperfect, but you're not associating with my imperfections. You're associating with my anointing. You're not here because of my perfection or imperfection. You're here because I'm anointed and you're coming under that anointing. But when you come up and get next to that anointing and you're like, no, I, my anointing is the same as your anointing. And, I, I, and you, how, who are you to point out some, who are you to see in me something that I don't even see in myself? I'm the same guy who sees the junk that I'm trying to pull out of you. I'm the same guy that sees the treasure and the gold that's inside of you that's covered up with all that junk, but you can't get to the gold without scraping off some of the junk. Okay, are you with me? And so this treasure inside of you is what we're going after this year. We're going after the gold. If you'll stay with it this year and come to all the vision chats, and of course, you know, like Steve said, love your pastor, you show up on Sunday, love the Lord, you show up at these events because you want to be trained. You want to be the best version of yourself. If you'll stay with this for this entire year, and if you'll let when stuff comes up, don't don't get condemned. Don't beat yourself up. You're the righteousness of God. Remember, God put treasure inside of you, but the world has has covered it and life has covered it and your mistakes have covered it and your parents covered it and the mistakes they made covered up and buried all that treasure. And we're going after hidden treasures this year. And the hidden treasures are not out there on Beverly Road. The hidden treasures are not over in Hawaii somewhere. The hidden treasures are not in some pirate's cove in, uh, underneath some sea. The hidden treasures are inside of you. But in order to get those out, we got to pull back the flesh, pull back the pride, pull back the fears, pull back the way you used to, the mindsets that you used to have, the hitchhiker mentality, the blame shifting mentality, the victim mentality, the I'm going to point the finger at you because you pointed the finger at me mentality, the how come you don't treat me with more respect mentality, the how come nobody recognizes my gifts mentality, how come nobody's promoting me. We got to peel all that garbage off. 
because there's so much greatness inside of you and you'll never discover it. It would be, e it would be great and easier if we could just discover the greatness in there, but nobody discovered gold without digging for it. Nobody discovered gold in San Francisco without traveling hundreds and thousands of miles and risked life and limb to get to San Francisco back in the gold rush. They, they had to fight for it. They had to dig for it. They had to be willing to do whatever it takes. We're not going, we don't have to go to heaven to get it. We don't have to go find it from someone else or somewhere else. And this is what Satan wants to make you feel. That, oh, look, go over and listen to that preacher. Go over and, you know, this church doesn't have it all. But see, for you, it has what you need. You don't need to go visit all these other places to experience what God has for you. You need to drill down, get planted, let us drill together, let us excavate together, and we're going to unveil the gold that is inside of you. There's so much treasure. There's so much greatness in you. There's so much amazing inside of you but you don't even see it because it's underneath the surface. And there's two things that you got to be willing to do. Trust the anointing that is in me. Trust the anointing that is on this house. Trust the, the, the calling of God upon this church to minister to you, to train you, to, 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 to help you see it. But also, the second thing you got to do is awaken the boss within you. you got to awaken the... the the taskmaster that is on the inside of you. You can't wait for somebody else to do all your digging for you. You've got to be willing to dig and you've got to be willing to excavate and you've got to be willing to unleash the heartless beast within you that demands of yourself more than anybody else could ever demand of you. If you ever said, man, I really had a tough boss, it, and you got mad or bitter, man, I was mad, my boss is so tough. If you've ever thought that or said that, it's not because you had such a tough boss, it's because you had such a soft self-discipline. Because if you have a tough boss inside, nobody on the outside could ever be tougher. If you'll say, man, I have the spirit of self-control. I'm going to rule my spirit. I'm going to rule over my flesh. I'm going to rule over my attitudes. I'm going to rule over my emotions. I'm going to rule over my tongue. Then you'll be the best boss you've ever had. And really self-government is the greatest secret to freedom. Is when you are self-governed, you don't need somebody else to be telling you what to do all the time. But when you are when you don't govern yourself, when you don't, when you're not willing to be the toughest boss on you, then you, 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 you impose upon other people to have to point out for you the things that are in the way of you becoming the greatest version of yourself. And you're really doing a disservice to yourself and to other people to put it on them. Like if you say to me, hey, point out for me anything you see, really that's, that's a lazy way of saying, yeah, I don't see it, but if you ever see it, I'll think about it. Yeah. But better to say, I have pointed out something in my, in my own life that is in the way of my success. Yeah. Will you help me get it out of me? Yeah. But if I have to do all the searching and all the digging of what's getting in the way, then 
it's, it, you're, then it's the lazy way for you. But if you say, I'm pointing out what's wrong, I'm pulling out the stuff that's in my way of my success and the way of my department growing and in the way of, of, my, of the area of responsibility I have in the church, I'm, I, there's something in my life that is in the way of that becoming the best it can be. I've identified it now, pastor, now Steve, now uh, staff person or whoever you, whoever is on the team that is responsible for, for, your, for your area of ministry will help you to get that, that hurdle that's in the way out of the way. But you got to be willing to recognize it. Match yeah, match my effort. Yeah. What do you what, say? What you mean by that? As much as you put into this church, we need to match your effort. Amen. Then we win. Yeah. If if everybody matches my effort, yeah, we we win. And 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 it's our church. Yeah. It's not my church. I'm the pastor. But the pastor without the people. We can have a steeple without any people and we don't have a church. But be willing to be, be willing to be exposed. Be willing for your weaknesses to be exposed because they're being exposed for a reason so that you can strengthen them. So that God can strengthen. God can't strengthen what you're, don't willing, what you're not willing to expose. He can only strengthen in your life what you're willing to expose in your life. Take the risk of being willing to expose it because you're the righteousness of God and we're not going to fall short of the grace of God towards you, but you've got to be willing to expose your weakness so that God can strengthen your weakness. Amen? Makes sense? Come on, let's, let's just pray right now together. And Grace, come on up with me and let's pray together. I'm going after the unseen you and you. God's going after the unseen you and you. And we're going to pray for you right now. and Let's stand together, shall we? The boss. Say, who is your boss? The boss is inside of you. No boss in this world could ever demand more out of you than you. So de start demanding more out of you, and you'll be the best boss you've ever had, and God will promote you. Father, thank you for these amazing people. What a privilege and a joy it is. What an honor it is that we can stand here together and serve you. Stand here together and hold up the, the, the vision of this church. Stand here together and be pillars in this house, Lord, that we are, are used by you, that we can uh, walk together and we can build together and we can grow together and we can laugh together and cry together and, and we can be challenged together. We can be changed together. And now I'm asking you, Father, for revealing to each person here the greatness that is inside of them. Reveal to them how valuable they are to you because you made that investment in, in each of us. Reveal that to all of us and create in us the awe of that we would be used by you. Let there be an awe that we are in this church. Let us be in awe of being saved and in awe of being in the family of God and in awe of being in this church family at Life Changers. And Lord, I pray that we would awaken to your grace and uproot every bit of bitterness that would ever try to 
to defile us or defile anyone near us. In Jesus' name, amen.